Genesis and chapter 31 Let's begin at verse 1 Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and from what belonged to our father he has made all this wealth and Jacob saw the attitude of Laban behold it was not friendly toward him as formerly um uh, Jacob had increased in wealth and that naturally it, as it usually brings with all worldly people it brought jealousy on the part of Laban's sons of course Laban's sons are ungodly heathen it's a very sad thing when such jealousy is found among those who call themselves believers when there is a jealousy in seeing God prospering somebody else and Jacob saw the face of Laban it was not friendly toward him as formerly um we've seen that before in genesis chapter 4 in the case of cain that when there was something uh there was a wrong attitude in the heart it was expressed on the face and this is the second time we see in the book of revelation a wrong attitude in the heart being expressed on the face and anyone who is wholehearted in this matter of salvation and sanctification will really seek to work out salvation not only in the fact that we don't do anything wrong but that we have so cleansed our hearts that there is no change in the expression of our face we know that when we have a difficulty with someone or when someone has treated us in some way badly or if there's jealousy there we sense that we are the expression on our face is not the same as it is towards people to whom we are very warm and friendly well that's just an indication that we need to still work out our salvation there we need to really take that seriously lord i see there there was a slight change of expression in my face towards that person which is an indication that i really need to work out my salvation in this area till i really become like the sun that god has created which shines exactly the same on good and evil people significant that twice in genesis we come across that but the face of a man changes when his heart attitude towards someone is affected and it's significant that in both cases mentioned in genesis 4 and genesis 31 it was caused by jealousy and dear brothers and sisters there's far more jealousy in our flesh than we think there is we can think that we are free from it but we need to ask god to give us light in this area so that we are thoroughly cleansed from this evil wretched thing and then the lord said to jacob return to the land of your fathers and your relatives and i will be with you see jacob himself uh, was quite comfortable there he really had no plans to go back but god made the circumstances so difficult that jacob was compelled to move and then the lord said to him it's time for you to go back and uh, he had already spent 20 years in mesopotamia 20 years of discipline 20 years where he had to live in his father-in-law's house if you have lived in your father-in-law's house you know what it is like to be 20 years there it wasn't easy it's interesting that god trained moses for 40 years in the same way in the wilderness put him in his father-in-law's house for 40 years what a breaking it's amazing how god uses our in-laws to break us it's there in genesis it's there in exodus it's there in the 20th century he uses our in-laws to break us so that he can discipline us provided 
we respond to that treatment of God in the right way. It's possible for us to rebel and to waste that discipline. I believe that when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ and see God's plan for our lives as he meant it to be, there will be many, many believers who will feel so sad and have so much regret because of the wasted discipline, the wasted sorrows and suffering that could have accomplished something that would have made them rich for eternity, but in which they didn't see God, they only saw their in-laws. They only saw their father-in-law. They only saw their mother-in-law. They only saw their brothers-in-law. They never saw God in that whole situation, trying to break them and discipline them. And therefore, all those years were wasted. No doubt, Jacob also must have gone through that attitude. It took 20 years, finally, before God's time came for him to, um, for his period of discipline to be over. God doesn't forget about us. 20 years is a long time. Think back to where we were 20 years ago and think from, say, 19, where were you in 1967 and where are you today? 20 years is a long time to be disciplined. You can almost think God's forgotten about you, but he hasn't. God knows exactly the right time to open the prison door or the door of the school where you can graduate us out of that school of discipline. There's a verse in Psalm 105 which says, Psalm 105 and verse 19, speaking about Joseph when he was in prison. And the word of God says here in Psalm 105 verse 19, until the time that God's word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Then he was released. Think of that phrase. There is a time when God's word comes to pass. Till that time, the word of the Lord tests us. Jacob was tested. Moses was tested. Joseph went through periods of testing. David went through periods of testing. Paul, Peter, every man of God has gone through a period of testing. John the Baptist was tested out in the wilderness for many years. The untested people in scripture were people like Isaac, and you know how he ended up. King Saul, and you know how he ended up. Solomon, you know how he ended up. These were the untested people who got everything on a silver platter, dropped into their laps. But every man of God that we read of in scripture has been tested through trial and discipline. And Jacob was a young man when he went out and it's good for a young man. We read in Lamentations 3, a very wonderful word for young people. If God is to really fulfill his purpose through them. As the years have gone by and I've seen many young people who have come to the Lord, I've come to see the reality of this verse that this, one would say, is almost the number one reason why many people for whom God had a wonderful plan and purpose and ministry has not been able to accomplish it in their lives because they were not willing to submit to his discipline. Je- Lamentations is the book after Jeremiah, chapter 3 and verse 27. It's good for a man <clears throat> that he should bear the yoke that's a symbol of discipline. In his youth, let him sit alone and be silent, since God has laid it on him, not his in-laws, God. Let him put his mouth in the dust, that means keep his mouth shut, and fall upon his face in the dust, and then there will be hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach, not just one word of reproach, but be filled with it. For the Lord will not reject forever. If he causes grief, he'll have compassion. He does not afflict willingly, verse 33, or grieve the sons of men. Verse 37, who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Yeah, God permits these things and it's good for a man when he's young 
to go through the discipline that Jacob went through in his youth. He could prophesy later on in his life as a prophet because he's gone through a discipline in his younger days. And that's why God arranges our circumstances and teaches us submission in our younger days and breaks the strength of our will. Those of you who are young people and those of you who are growing up from being young people also need to ask yourself whether there's ever been a time in your life when God has been able to break you by your submitting to authority. Many young people today know almost nothing of submitting to authority. They have been a law unto themselves. From the time they are born again, they know everything. They don't know what it is to submit to authority. And God says, all right, go ahead. And the result is, even when they are 40 years old, they are shallow. There is no richness in their life and ministry. Because they have never known submission to authority. All their life, they have been a law unto themselves. What a sad thing. Think if you were saved when you were young, by the time you come to that age, you should have, have, have a richness of content in your life. But that can only come if you submit to discipline and authority that God places over you. And we see that Jacob did. He didn't rebel against Laban. He submitted. And God was able to do a work in Jacob slowly, it's a slow process and one day God said alright, now you can go. Wonderful if God is able to do that with us. It's very wonderful to see what follows after that in the next chapter. And so God spoke to him by a direct word and also by circumstances, that's usually the way he guides us, by a word and by circumstances. And so he calls his wives, Rachel and Leah, to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude, his face towards me is not friendly. He says, you know that I served your father, with verse 6, with all my strength. He wasn't lazy. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. Yeah, that's part of discipline, where God allows other people to cheat us, take advantage of us, and he humbles us. We don't get our wages, we're treated unjustly, and if we don't know in all those situations what it is to keep our mouth in the dust and humble ourselves, we'll never come to that place and ministry that God has appointed for us, and to that life that God desires us to have. And he goes on to describe how God had blessed him, and we, so he says, let's go. And his wives agreed with them. In verse 14, do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? And they followed. It's amazing. Way back there in the Old Testament, these wives behave better than some New Testament Christian wives who still think that they belong in their father's house. I want to ask all the wives here, where do you belong? In your husband's home or your father's home? Which do you really consider your home? It's very important. The word of God says in Psalm 45, forget your father's house. I think it's true that very few sisters who are wholehearted enough to obey that. Very few. But there, Rachel and Leah said, sure, we're going. And then Jacob arose, verse 17, and put his children and his wives upon camels. And he drove away all his livestock and all his property. And... When Laban, verse 19, had gone to share his flock, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. She had also learned some tricks from her husband as to how to swipe something when the father was not watching. Gold, golden idols, daughters wanting to grab their share of the father's property before somebody else grabs it. Do you have anything like that? I must grab, I'm going away from home now, I better grab whatever I can from the house before I leave. After all, it's my father's property, I can take, it's mine, I can take it and go. This lust 
Yeah, we see that there. She had become like her husband, all right. And Jacob deceived Laban, verse 20. He was a deceiver. He got a wife who was a deceiver. And he fled with all that he had, verse 21. And when Laban heard it on the third day, he followed after. And he took his kinsmen and pursued him for seven days and overtook him. And see how God cares for Jacob. God came to Laban, the Syrian, in a dream of the night. And said, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. It's amazing how God can speak to... Laban was not a converted person. Laban was a godless idolater. We see, he was worshipping these idols. And he was chasing after these people partly to recover his gods who had been stolen. But God Almighty could speak to this heathen man's heart. It's tremendous to see in scripture how God can speak to a heathen man's heart saying, don't trouble that child of mine. Tremendous comfort if you have faith in this God. That when we are children of God, God can even speak to heathen people who are seeking to trouble us and restrain us. Their hearts are in his hand. He's almighty. It's wonderful to live under the protection of a heavenly father. And uh, Laban came up and caught up with Jacob and he said, why have you deceived me? Why have you fled secretly? And then he says in verse 29, it is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night. Not my God, the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad. And uh, we see here how he uses similar expression to what Pilate used to Jesus in John 19 verse 10 and 11. Where Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know that I have authority to crucify you and I have authority to release you? And Jesus said, you have no authority over me unless it's given you from above, from my father. Unless my father has given you that authority, you have no authority to crucify me or release me. And that's what Jacob's attitude was. He didn't realize that fully as Jesus did, but God worked for him. Laban could not harm him because God came in between Laban and Jacob. And it's very good for us to see that, that God stands in between us and those who seek to harm us. If we are called, if we are among the called, if we have made our calling and election sure, if we are those who have submitted to God's discipline in our life. And then here is what Laban says about who his God is. He says, the God of your father in verse 29. He says, but my God, why did you steal my gods? His gods are the type that can be stolen. And he comes to recover his gods. Amazing, the stupidity of idolatry that somebody steals your gods and you've got to go and recover these gods of yours. And finally, Rachel is clever enough to hide these idols by sitting on them in verse 34 and not getting up when her father came, and so he didn't discover it. And then Jacob tells Laban, I served you for 20 years, verse 38. If a beast was torn were by the, if uh, an animal was torn by the beast, I replaced it myself. Verse 40, I worked by day, the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. In these twenty years I have been your house like this. And then they made a covenant not to harm one another, and Laban says, this is a covenant that you will take care of my daughters. You won't marry anyone else. And this is a witness. And like that, they parted. Then we come to chapter 32 and verse 1. As Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Yeah, he had obeyed what God had told him. And when we obey God, and we are in God's ways. The word of God in Psalm 91.11 says, He will give His angels charge over you, concerning you, to keep you in all your ways. 
And this was sort of God's encouragement. Because he had just finished with Laban and now he was going to meet another enemy, Esau. And in between one enemy and another enemy, both of whom God was going to restrain. He restrained Laban and he was going to restrain Esau. God sent his angels to encourage Jacob. Wonderful. Now one, one would, uh, Jacob was not such a wholehearted, zealous, devoted disciple that uh, God should do all these things. One would think that God does this only for those who are perfect. It's amazing how he does these things for those whom he has called. One of the things that I've discovered, that when it comes to material things, and earthly protection, which is what most believers are interested in. God gives it to everybody. You don't have to be wholehearted to get God's protection. You don't have to be wholehearted to get answers to prayer. You don't have to be wholehearted to get physical healing or material things. You have to be wholehearted to partake of God's nature. But here we are not talking about Jacob partaking of the divine nature. Here we are talking about the angels of God encouraging him and comforting him, protecting him from Laban on one side, Esau on one side. Yeah, God does that. Even for crooked Jacobs because he loves them, because he's called them. But I trust that none of us will ever be, find our comfort in the fact that God protects us from our enemies. The greatest message I get from scripture is that God answers my prayer and protects me from my enemies. I don't have a clue about the new covenant at all. This is old covenant. But God encourages him, sends his angels and Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. It's very interesting to see that when God speaks to people, they don't necessarily have to be wholehearted. God spoke to Balaam, God spoke to Jacob. Today you hear somebody says God spoke to him personally. Maybe he did, but it doesn't mean he's spiritual. He may be a godless heathen like Balaam. God spoke to Laban. So don't get excited when you hear somebody say God spoke to me face to face. Maybe he did. He spoke to Laban and Balaam as well. It doesn't prove much about the person's spirituality. It's partaking of divine nature alone that is the mark of a spiritual man, not that God speaks to him. And Jacob said when he saw them, and then Jacob sent messengers, sorry, verse 3, before him to his brother Esau. He, he knew that he had escaped from one enemy. His father-in-law chased him. Now he had another one in front. And that was Esau, who was, he knew would be waiting for him for 20 years to finish him off. And he says, go and tell my Lord Esau. You know what Isaac told uh, Jacob when he blessed him? Do you remember the birthright blessing? Be Lord over your brother. But he's scared now. He says, Esau is my Lord. And I'm your servant. And please let me find favor in your sight. And the messengers, I don't think they even got a chance to give the message to Esau because halfway through they heard that Esau was coming with 400 people and they just ran back to Jacob saying we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you and 400 men are with him and Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed how very much like us we have experienced God delivering us from a Laban we have experienced the angels of God comforting us and a similar situation arises again after a few days and we are scared. We wonder whether God will help us this time. Like he did last time. And so the scheming Jacob starts working. Divides the people and the flocks. And he says if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it. Then the, the other company can escape. Like a military commander. And Jacob said oh God. This is the last resort, just in case everything fails, we better turn to God as well. After we have schemed and planned and manipulated, the last resort is God. O oh God, who did say to me, return to your country and your relatives, I'll prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness. It's very easy to recognize our unworthiness when we are in the soup and when we are in difficulty. The problem is to recognize our unworthiness when everything is going well and we have no Labans or Esau's chasing us at that time to say to God, Lord, I am unworthy of the least of thy mercies. That's the mark of a spiritual man. When a man says to God when he is in a real difficulty, Oh God, I am unworthy of the least of thy mercies, it means nothing. It means nothing. For twenty years he hadn't thought of that. 
But now when he is in difficulty. Yeah, the Bible faithfully describes Jacob for us as a man exactly like us in every way. No different. And that's an encouragement to us. You see, you read the biographies of a lot of modern day saints. It will never be like this. All the followers of John Wesley think that John Wesley never made a mistake, there was nothing wrong with him. All the followers of Martin Luther would think that he never made a mistake, there was nothing wrong with him. All the followers of William Booth will think that he was a great man, there was nothing wrong with him. And all the followers of Johann Smith think there was nothing wrong with him. He was a perfect man. That's true all over the world. Everybody thinks our leader was a perfect man. But the word of God describes people in their human frailties. These are biographies inspired by the Holy Spirit. Because these encourage us that God has chosen such people and transformed them. And if we are honest, we see that we are like this. And we get hope. These other biographies and stories that we hear of so many great men only make us idolize them. Which God never wants us to do. But here are biographies in scripture that encourage us. Whether it's of Jacob or Abraham or Paul or Peter in the New Testament. They're all honest. All absolutely honest. And so we see here that Jacob was a man exactly like us who reacted like us in times of difficulty. And yet God cared for him and helped him. Of course, his concern is only for his own safety. Deliver me, I pray thee, he says, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me, mother of his children. For thou didst say, I'll surely prosper you and make your descendants the sand of the sea. Well, if God has said that, he'll, he'll keep his word. There's no need to fear. So he spent the night there. And he still schemes how to please Esau. He selected from what he had with him a present and collects a whole lot of goats and rams and camels and sends them by the hands of his servants. And he commanded them to say to Esau in verse 17, say to them in verse 18, these belong to your servant. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. Here is that undignified attitude before a worldly person which is absolutely unbecoming of a child of God. Humility is one thing. But to act like this because I want a favor from this worldly person I need to ask myself would Jesus act like this? Oh, I am your servant and you are my Lord. That's why Jesus said don't learn humility from the dictionary. Learn it from me. Learn of me, for I am humble in heart. Otherwise, we'll never understand humility. There's a dignity about a child of God which is not opposed to humility. We don't see that dignity in Jacob because he was scared. The fear of man and because he wanted some favor from this man. Again, we see how much like us he is. And so the present passed on before him. And then he arose the same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream. And he sent across whatever he had. And then, this is a very important period now that we enter into Jacob's, in Jacob's life, this particular night. We had just finished with one enemy. Another enemy in front of him. God had disciplined him for twenty years. One pressure after another. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. If you turn to Hosea chapter 12 verse 3 and 4. Hosea chapter 12 verse 3 and 4 we read that that was an angel that wrestled with Jacob. says in Hosea 12 verse 3 in the womb he took his brother by his by the heel and in his maturity he contended 
with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with us. So we see here that the one Jacob wrestled with was an angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. So turning back to Genesis 32, we read these wonderful words. And that was what God was waiting for. God was waiting for Jacob to be alone. He had to deal with him personally. And I would like to think that God is very often waiting to meet with us alone. And that's what we may not have time for in the busy world we live in. Occupied with a job and property and wife and children. Jacob had all these. He had more than us. Four wives and eleven children and more property and more to take care of. It is so difficult to get him to be alone. And God could never do what he wanted to do with this man while he was in the midst of all this. Occupied with all these things. He had to put pressure after pressure after pressure and get him into a circumstance where he had to send off everybody and be alone. And then God said, now I can deal with him. And he began to wrestle with him. And that wrestling was a, a picture of what God had been trying to do with Jacob for all these twenty years. Twenty years ago when he met him at Bethel with that ladder that led up to heaven. Uh, he had spoken to him but he hadn't responded in the way God wanted. And so for twenty years he'd been wrestling and this final night God was going to give him, it was like a, we can say, it was the graduation day from the school of discipline and the way God took him through his convocation is quite different from earthly convocation by breaking him it was the final uh, it was giving him the certificate of discipline after 20 years in this school and he wrestled with him wrestling like God wrestles with us and we can ask why does God wrestle with us and we can answer that question by saying God always wrestles with us to bring us down to a zero point. When we are converted, we are all so high up. Every one of us. And the younger we are, the cleverer we are, the higher up we are. And the richer we are, add all it, add it, riches, youth, intelligence, and then we are pretty high. And for God to break a man who is young and intelligent and rich, to bring him down to zero, is quite a job. And so he arranges circumstances, gives him a certain type of wife, certain type of in-laws, certain type of circumstances, certain type of job. And if that man will submit to authority, gives him certain types of brothers and sisters who make demands on him. And if that man can submit to authority, in his younger days and live with a yoke upon his neck and not think that he knows everything God can do such a work finally that he can bring that person also to a convocation day say alright I'll give you a certificate now God's seeking to bring us down to zero to bring us down to nothing to bring down all those high thoughts we have of our knowledge and our ability and our usefulness to God etc etc and it says here in verse 25, when he saw that he had not prevailed. That means even after 20 years, it's been a tough job for God to break Jacob. That he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. That was the final breaking. That was the certificate. Right? For twenty years I've hit at you little by 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 little and I haven't succeeded. I have to now give you one big blow because I love you so much. I can't allow you to waste your life. Have you come to that place? Have you ever come to that place, dear brother and sister? 
it's very difficult for us to know how god deals with other people but jesus said by their fruits you shall know them but i've come to see one thing that every man whom god has used and done a work through in a deep and lasting way in the history of the church that i've ever heard of has been a broken man and so by their fruits you know them and then you can ask is god partial he is not it must mean that many others have resisted that breaking somewhere along the line their knowledge is good and it's possible brothers and sisters to know all about jesus coming in our flesh putting the flesh to death and new living way about being kind and good and merciful and uh, all the things and uh, submitting to injustice and injury and all that and yet for a strength in ourselves that remains with all this knowledge and all this external submission and everything that can be inside a self that has never been bent or broken and that manifests itself when there's a sudden provocation and that's a wonderful thing when god has been able to break a man so thoroughly that he cannot be offended anymore and he does not seek his own or think highly of himself anymore that is the place to which god wants to bring every one of his children but i wonder whether even 1% of his children ever reach there 99% even those who know the theory of it theory of it never reach that place because if they reach that place god would have made them into israel because that was the time when it says he broke him and this man who all his life had been grabbing earthly things he came out of his mother's womb grabbing his brother's leg grabbed his brother's birthright went to his uncle's house and grabbed his two daughters and grabbed his property and grabbing 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 women property whatever one can get for oneself now what does he grab he's grabbing god he says in verse 26 god said let me go for the dawn is breaking and he said i will not let you go unless you bless me you see what he's holding now he's holding on to god he's not interested in all those things now he's not grabbing his property he says lord you unless you bless me i will not let you go it's wonderful when god has done such a breaking in us that the only thing we want to hold on to is god himself i believe that's the mark of one mark anyway of a really broken man that he doesn't want to hold on to anything more in life except god that's all and we may think we do but let somebody run across our path and do something and immediately we rise up and anger or self justification or something all of which prove that god alone is not enough for us we need something else as well all of which proves that god has still not been able to bring us down to zero when you are running after earthly things when you justify yourself these are all indications that god has not been able to bring us down to zero our mouth is not in the dust our mouth is very much open up in the air And so God has to wait like we read in Isaiah he waits that he might be gracious to us with Moses he waited 40 years with Jacob 20 years with some people he's waited all their lifetime and never succeeded and I want to I wonder if you realize the seriousness of this dear brothers and sisters you can be baptized in the holy spirit and yet if God has not broken you you'll never never in your whole life ever be able to fulfill all that god wanted to fulfill through your life we read that when jesus took the five loaves he blessed them we can say that's a picture of the baptism of the holy spirit then before he fed the multitude he broke the loaves that's always the second step between the blessing and the feeding there's a breaking and that is what releases the power and so god has done one thing he's got this man to lay hold of him and then another step 
He said to him, "What is your name?" Something like Isaac asked him when he came with the meat curry, "What is your name?" That time he said Esau. This time he is honest. What is your name? Deceiver. All right, I'll change you. I wonder if we see this. This is brokenness. Lord, I've got nothing to justify myself. I am a deceiver. I am a cheat. I'm one who grabs for myself. That's the meaning of Jacob. That is my name. There's nothing that God loves like honesty. And that's why God hates this self-justification so much. Because when we justify ourselves, we're saying my name is not Jacob. I am righteous. I've acted in a spiritual way. God says, "All right. You got to wait some more years. The word of the Lord is not yet ready to release you. Go back into the school of discipline." But if we can be honest and say, "My name is Jacob. I'm a deceiver. Always seeking that which will promote my own ends and my own name and my own gain, my own honor. That'll make which will make me somebody in the eyes of others. That'll which will prove to others." that uh, i i i was right and the other person was wrong god says wait few more years back to the school till we till our mouth is in the dust and we say lord that's my name deceiver cheat grabber then he said your name will no longer be jacob think how god is so quick to meet an honest man You will no longer be Jacob from now on because you were honest with me. If you had tried to fool me and tried to justify yourself before me and say, "Yeah, Laban did this to me, that's why I behave like that," he can say all that to Laban, but he can't say that to God because he was honest. God said to him, "You shall no longer be Jacob, but you shall be Israel, for you have striven with God and with me and have prevailed." This was the angel of the Lord. that Jacob was struggling with which is probably uh, a manifestation of Christ the word angel means messenger in some form there it appears many times in the old testament that phrase the angel of the lord because you have striven with god and with me and you have prevailed when does he prevail when he is broken when his thigh is dislocated it says here that god the angel of the lord is fighting with him and he could not succeed in breaking him and one would have thought that god would have said now i have prevailed over you no he says the other way around he says you prevailed because now you're dislocated your thigh is dislocated you can't walk now you're lame for the rest of your life you'll be lame and from that moment for the rest of Jacob's life he was a lame man he may have been around 40 years of age he was around 20 perhaps when he went to we don't know around 20 perhaps when he went to mesopotamia is coming back at the age of 40 wonderful if god's been able to discipline a man from the ages of 20 to 40 so that god's been able to do a work in him and that he's lame for the rest of his life because he's broken and God's blessed him and his name is changed Israel means prince of God he was a prince now he had become a king it's only a broken man who can be a king these who say we are kings and priests we don't actually become kings till we are broken and then Jacob asked him and said please tell me your name he said why is it that you ask my name there's no need to know that it's enough that i bless you and he blessed him there that is real blessing 20 years earlier isaac had put his empty hands on jacob's empty head and said 
here you are blessed with all this nothing happened but now god almighty puts his hand on jacob's head that's something there is something in the laying on of hands but no man can give to us you can get the greatest man of god to lay hands on our head and nothing will happen if god himself doesn't lay hands on us and bless us to change our name and so jacob named the place peniel for he said i have seen god face to face and my life has been yet my life has been preserved one life had died and another life had come forth the old jacob had gone a new israel had come forth it wasn't an overnight job to the 20 year job and then you read these words now the sun rose upon him this was jacob's second meeting with god you remember we studied genesis 28 when in his first meeting with god we saw that in genesis 28 when jacob was going out verse 11 he came to a certain place and spent the night there and the sun had set that was the age of 20 now after 20 years the sun had risen of course it's only a geographical fact but it is also true of his life we can say that between that sunset and the sunrise lay 20 years of darkness and struggle and discipline which unfortunately as i say and i want to keep on repeating many young people have, do not have the patience to go through and therefore they remain empty all their lives i want to exhort every young brother and sister here allow god in your younger days to do a work in you of breaking a thorough breaking don't be so impatient to suddenly be a leader and a teacher and a prophet or what is worse a prophetess no just humble yourself seek to be a broken person and then god can do something through you maybe after 20 years or if you are more wholehearted maybe after 10 years but otherwise it's possible we can go all through our life thinking that we are something and we're just nothing because god's not able to break us and the sun rose upon him and he was limping on his thigh and the sun set he was not limping he was a strong erect jacob there's a piece of poetry i read once called lord bend this proud and stiff neck i help me to bow my head and die beholding him on calvary who bowed his head for me this eye straight just like the letter i in the english language straight stiff erect that's how we are and god has to bend it so that it's no longer i but see for Christ that's what he did with Jacob made him limp then the sun rose how different god's ways are this is not the way uh, worldly industries train their young people to be business executives it's the exact opposite of that there is they are limping in the beginning they are standing erect by the time they finish their training God's ways are the other way around. If you're standing erect when you start your training, you're limping by the time you finish. You don't have those high thoughts about yourself. You're bent. You've got a staff. You're a helpless man now. And therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip. I wanted to turn to a verse in Hebrews 11. Verse 21. You know Hebrews 11? It's that fantastic chapter full of people who shut the mouths of lions and split open red seas raised people from the dead etc etc fantastic things pulled down the walls of jericho and in the midst of all these fantastic things we read one 
statement which looks so odd coming in a chapter like that and that is about Jacob Hebrews 11:21 by faith Jacob says in the last part of that verse worshiped leaning on the top of his staff funny isn't it a statement like that should come in the book of Hebrews so and so split open the red sea so and so pulled down the walls of jericho so and so shut the mouths of lions and so and so uh, defeated enemies and so and so raised the dead and jacob was walking with his staff was that a miracle i believe a greater miracle than splitting the red sea than pulling down the walls of jericho when god can get one man stiff erect clever intelligent shrewd young when he can get him broke so that he leans upon a staff that's a miracle of grace with which no pulling down of walls of jericho can ever compare and that is why it is written there in hebrews 11:21 he worshiped leaning on the top of his staff he had a staff for the rest of his life it's interesting that the holy spirit mentions that that's an example for us dear brothers as to the way god wants us to go this christendom which exalts converted astronauts and converted film stars and thinks that these are the great representatives of Christ great intellectuals get up to give profound lectures to evangelical graduates about christianity they have no understanding that god's ways are with a broken man with a staff limping broken helpless the man who has known the power of god in his life That's why we are so much against the Bible schools because no Bible school can teach this. The men whom God has used most throughout the histories of the throughout the history of the church are men who have never went to a Bible school. That's been true for 20 centuries and God hasn't changed his mind now. It's this is the school that we need to go to. To be broken and humbled. There's a verse in Isaiah 33 verse 23. I don't know whether you know it. the very lovely verse Isaiah 33:23 says in the last part of that verse the lame will take the plunder the plunder means after a battle in the olden days when two armies had a battle and one army won the victory they'd go and plunder the enemy and take all their gold and silver and usually the lame person would be Uh, struggling along would be the one who would get nothing because all the active fellows go up in front and grab loot everything for themselves and by the time the lame fellow reaches there there's nothing left for him but here's a verse which says the lame are going to get the plunder amazing jacob got it but not till he became lame when god is able to break that proud self-sufficiency in us we can get the plunder And you know Jacob was not a, a very a spiritual man to begin with he was a crafty schemer like all of us are and if any of you think you're not a crafty schemer i just ask you to go and ask god to give you a little more light on yourself i don't believe there's one of us in this room who's not a crafty schemer we all are where like Jacob And God calls himself as to be seen the God of Jacob, the God of the crafty schemer, the God of the man with the crooked temperament and the warped personality. Praise God that he can take such people and change them if they will let him break them when he is wrestling with them. Lord, bring me to that zero point. quickly i know i can't get it overnight i can't reach there tomorrow perhaps but lord let's do it do a quick job in me let's not take 20 years reduce it to 10 at least i want to be wholehearted yeah the lame will take the plunder chapter 33 verse 1 then jacob lifted up his eyes and looked and behold he saw was coming immediately after god blesses us there is always the temptation of the enemy we have to be tested to see whether we trust in this wonderful blessing that we received from God it's easy to change our name to Israel say my name is Israel now but when Esau comes we'll find out whether you're really Israel or not and he's not 
It's Jacob who lifts up his eyes, not Israel. And because Jacob lifts up his eyes, he's still scared. And this is so true. It's really so true. Even after God's done such a fantastic work in us, the next thing is the same old failure. Praise God for such ruthlessly honest biographies in scripture. I don't think there's ever been a biography written that is so honest as the scriptural biographies. Never. I've read many biographies. I'm always hesitant to believe these biographies because I say I don't know how honest they are. I can believe scripture. But when I read these biographies I say it can't be. These men couldn't have been like this. These are certain peaks that they have mentioned but what about all the valleys in between? I've never talked about that. And he puts the maids and their children in front and here is all the partiality coming forth and Leah and her children next so that if somebody gets wiped out Leah and the children will be finished first and then his favorite wife at the back Rachel and Joseph last <laughs> It's not much of Israel here yet it's the same old crafty Jacob still scheming but he himself passed on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times again demeaning himself and he's so surprised that the God who took care of Laban took care of Esau too Esau ran to meet him and embraced him fell on his neck and kissed him they wept and he lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, who's of these? And he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children and they bowed down. It's very interesting to see that Jacob had light on that. That even though he had eleven children, he didn't think that they were a bit of a nuisance. They were children whom God had graciously given and then the various families came forward and Esau said, what do you mean by all this? And Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Verse 9. And Jacob said, please, if I have found favor in your sight, take this present. Verse 10, the last part, for I see your face. As one sees the face of God. Amazing. That Jacob could see the face of God in Esau. How is that? Don't we see the face of God only in spiritual people? No, not necessarily. You see the face of God in the face of every man and woman whom you have wronged, even if you wronged them twenty years ago. When you see a man, suddenly your conscience tells you, remember how you cheated him twenty years ago, and that man's face is the face of God to you, reminding you, settle it before the day of judgment. That's how Esau's face became the face of God to him. He was suddenly reminded. And the only way to remove that threatened judgment that we see in a person whom we have wronged is by setting it right. Setting that matter right once and for all. Then that fear of judgment will not be there anymore. That person's face will no longer be like the face of God demanding judgment. So he gives us gifts and Esau says, let's take our journey and go. And Jacob's scared still whether Esau will kill him on the way or something. So he says, you go ahead. I'll come later and join you, he says in verse 14 at Seir. Of course, he had no intention to go to Seir. Well, you're just telling Esau a lie. So Esau returned, verse 16, to Seir and Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built for himself a house. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And I believe he made a mistake here. He bought a piece of land in Shechem, whereas God had told him, as we see in chapter 31, verse 13, what he told his wives, I am the God of Bethel. Arise, leave this land and return to your land. He was supposed to go to Bethel. We read later on, God told him to go to Bethel. But he didn't reach Bethel. Something like, Abraham leaving Mesopotamia and stuck in Haran. Instead of reaching Bethel, he got stuck in Shechem, bought a piece of land. And of course, he built an altar, as we read in verse 20, which is good. But he did not go where God wanted him to go. And the results we read and study in our next study is the sad event that happened in Shechem, where he saw his own daughter being raped by the men of Shechem. He was out 
he didn't move to the place where God wanted him to go. He bought a piece of land, maybe Shechem was a good place to settle down in. Like many believers find good places to settle down in today. They can build an altar there and say, God, the God of Israel, yes, you can worship God anywhere, but if you're not in the place where God wants you to be, you can never fulfill God's purpose. So there are warnings and encouragements in the life of Jacob, and we praise God for it, that he who is the God of Jacob will be our God too.